last time on Conflict Theory. No, we're all pretty much doomed. So, this time on Conflict Theory, we're going to be talking about political censorship on Facebook. At least that's mostly what we're going to be talking about. Uh, Alan, did you, did you prepare for political censorship or just censorship in general? Uh, I mean, it's going to be mostly political, but um, there's, uh, I can be a little broader than that. All right. What about you, Brandy? Yeah, I could be a little broader as well, but I did a lot of political research, so. That's what I was thinking too, but I got to thinking upon researching this topic, like way more generally as to like how much we expect from our social media providers. <laughs> And how, how little they expected to provide, um, at least initially, huh? It's been a big learning curve for all of them. Right. Like, yeah, on its face, like a social media company is just like, here is uh, a platform right. so you can keep in touch with all your friends and yep. occasionally we'll show you an ad. Yep. That is not what social media is anymore. No. Uh, never so, thought they'd get this big. And like corporations' roles on it is so strong. Like, and I was just sure. looking through the terms of services on Facebook, and I think it's the same for pretty much everyone. We get nudity, uh, violence, hate speech, and like not even in what I saw, and I'm sure it's there now or something, but they're censoring misinformation a lot too. We saw that a lot with Twitter, just saying, we don't think this information is true and taking down false information about the coronavirus. And then, leave, and then sometimes taking down true information about the coronavirus. They're, they're taking on big roles. They're doing a lot of new things. And there was a lot of academic information about this, academic articles about this. And I think that largely stemmed back from when Alex Jones was getting banned off these platforms. And I think that pulls into an interesting sort of bump in the road with these social media companies. Because I was looking specifically at Twitter uh, on this and Twitter started like as a free speech platform like the CEO was a hardcore libertarian like their vision for Twitter was essentially just a marketplace of ideas everybody say their thing and the idea that they're censoring people even Alex Jones like indicates that maybe these social media companies don't really have a choice that it's censor or die in some capacity for them that we might need to reason through. But the real linchpin for why we're talking about this today is obviously the email scan, not the email, the Hunter Biden laptop scandal, where both Facebook and Twitter refused or censored the New York Post story because they, they used the, the term hacked information which is interesting and it doesn't seem like it's being evenly applied. Like you were able to post things about Trump's taxes when those were revealed. The Steele dossier never got, uh, never got censored. WikiLeaks, anything from there never got censored. Edward Snowden was published by the New York Times and never got censored by any of these platforms. Like this new uh, laptop scandal, it doesn't seem unique from a lot of the things that's happened even recently, but it got treated very differently. So maybe that means there's a conservative bias. Maybe it's unique in a way I can't identify, but that's pretty much all I have to say to introduce the topic. 
So let's go ahead and start with Alan, with your soapbox on it. Um, you know, I think I, prior to the 2016 election, I think the social media platforms, plus most of us, or at least a large portion of us out in the user community, didn't really expect our social media platforms to control the content that was on it, right? It was kind of up to each individual user to uh, post stuff and be at least, you know, somewhat reasonable about uh, about their their content and what, what they were doing with it. And yeah, you know, there were some extremists out there, but you know, they weren't going to get a lot of traction. Well, you know, Russia figured out ways to be really creative and effective with that. And so, you know, they uh, were quite effective in getting fake posts with fake information spread, spread around. And so now we all have expectation um, <laughs> that social media platforms will make some attempts to try to uh, control that. And the numbers are actually quite startling. Uh, the Economist magazine came out with uh, an article on just this just a week and a half ago. It says, uh, social networks have been on the mother of all cleanups. Facebook removal of hate speech has risen tenfold in two years. It disables some 17 million fake accounts every single day, more than twice the number of three years ago. YouTube, uh, with about 2 billion monthly users, removed 11.4 million videos in the past quarter, along with 2.1 billion user comments, up from just 166 million comments in the second quarter of, of 2018. Twitter, with a smaller base of 350 million users, removed 2.9 million tweets in the second half, half of last year, more than double the amount from a year earlier. So, I mean, those are some startlingly huge numbers, right? Every single day, they're dealing with 17 million accounts. Um, and so that's a, that's a huge amount of, of, of censorship, essentially, that, that's going on. So the question becomes, what are the criteria that they're using? And that's where you got to with your, with your Hunter Biden example. And so it's, um, it, it's particularly hard, right? Uh, and, and, you know, these are unelected officials, right? These are just, these are business people. And, and we, I guess we, we vote for them when we choose to, to, to log into their platforms. But otherwise, we don't, um, you know, we, we don't have a lot of control over them or um, a lot of input into what they choose to censor or not. But I think the 2016 election pretty well showed everybody that there is a need for, for some level of censorship. Uh, the fact that those numbers are so huge uh, was shocking to me, and, and it does make me wonder what, what their cri criteria are. And of course, they don't want to be too public about those criteria because it would make it easier for people to circumvent them. So I, I, I do think it's, it's become important for, for these media outlets. Um, uh, a large percentage of that, by the way, is, is done uh, via AI. Um, and then, you know, the, the rest is done by, by people fly, flagging posts. It is not just political content either. I saw something someplace about the, the huge, huge numbers of child porn that gets taken down via AI um, scripts that, that are, are run on these social media platforms. So it extends into some really important areas, even um, beyond politics. And so, you know, it's probably important that, that, that this happened, but it's, um, it's, sort of worrying sort of big brotherish in the 1984 George Orwell terms of to term of things that you know we've got uh, people who were unelected and um, sort of secretly going around um, censoring people. All right leaving us off with the Orwellian uh, scare but Brandy. All right so I've just got a little history on censorship for us. My favorite thing that I learned was where the word censorship came from, comes from the censor in Roman Empire and his power of the censor was absolute. No magistrate could oppose his decisions and no other censor could change them either. And since he regulated public morality, that's where censorship came from. 
So uh, we've got a couple of different kinds of censorship. As Alan said, um, there are some censorship that we like and we enjoy, you know, uh, any of the child porn stuff. We don't want to see that. We would like that kind of censorship, you know, the, on TV or on the radio when they censor bad words or things that kids don't want to see, things like that. Good censorship. Um, then there's religious censorship um, where they may say, as a religious person, you should not be doing this or that and make it like, you know, the Vatican used to do, um, like, they actually had a list of books up until 1968 that were banned from anyone who was Catholic, um, just because they didn't want you to read what was in them or know what was going on inside of them. Um, of course, we know of educational bans on books. Um, there's many, many books, and the list keeps growing on all the books that they don't want you to read in school. Harry Potter is even on it now. Don't want you to read about sorcery. Then there is ad censorship, which is, you know, if Walmart buys up all the ad space on Facebook, mom and pop shops don't get to see it. It's a form of censorship as well. And then there's political censorship, of course, where the censorship itself is based around the government saying what you can and cannot do or someone saying what you should and should not be able to do with your own decisions so the social media stuff that we've been seeing is obviously political most of the things that they have that they have taken down that we all can see on a daily basis have been like paul said coronavirus statistics may or may not actually have been wrong and things about the election, most commonly conservative sides of the election. So when there's some sorts of bias on that, that's when you start to ask questions. What are they actually doing? Why are they pulling certain things and not others? And that's where we are now, talking about it. All right. And with that, I think we're going to go into our first break. I will take this opportunity to plug my band and the bands of the other of Mr. Atomic, who's contributing the music to this episode. So if you like them, please check them out. And if you like them or don't like them, well, you can still give my band six feet away a shot. But yeah, we'll see you after the break. And welcome back to Conflict Theory. Before the break, we chatted about censorship of social media companies a little bit. We have a, we seem to be in agreement on the panel, but I'm wondering if we can get a little deeper on this. So I I, I came up with some questions. We'll start real light and I'll I'll direct this one towards Alan. Because Brandy said pretty explicitly, and you seem to agree with this, that some social, some censorship is good. Like, would would you agree to that, Alan? I'm sorry. Uh, yes, it's uh, it's it's pa- painful for me to say, but um, you know, I think some censorship has has proven itself to be necessary. Like, and I, I'm gonna ask, like, what? Um. Well, so some, you know, cr- criminal behavior kinds of stuff. I think pretty much everyone can can agree with, you know, the child porn example that that that, that we've talked about. We don't need that on our social media, but even things, you know, the the things that are designed to influence elections, for example, that are, that are clearly false. You know, it's probably okay to get the stuff that's clear, clearly false off. Trouble is you risk, uh, you risk it getting stuff that's, that, that's, um, you know, true also. Right. So that's, it's tough. You know, there was an example where, uh, 
Facebook uh, took down some posts that were talking about the uh, uh, savage savage natives or something. I don't remember quite what the, 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 the phrasing is, but they took it down as a racist comment until they realized it was a quote from the Declaration of Independence, right? which, which was, you know, written in a very uh, racist tone. So, um, you know, it, it gets to be a really, really difficult line, which is why I'd prefer that we, that we didn't have censorship. But, you know, again, um, given what Russia was able to accomplish in 2016, and um, you know what? Uh, what Russia and apparently Iran and China and who knows who else has been trying trying to do with this election? Not to mention just all the the, the internal the domestic groups that will intentionally put out false stuff. You know, I come across it all the time on Facebook. People's uh, feeds have these memes or these posts with with facts that I just know to be wrong. And so, you know, I take it upon myself usually to go find a, a article from a reputable media source and paste it to their to their post to let them know that 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 their post is wrong but you know it's kind of rare that they take it down they're they're okay um spreading false information you're you're casting a really wide net alan so you Uh, you start with like things that are clearly illegal but then you give me anything that's hate speech got to get rid of that anything that's clearly false we got to get rid of that like that's that's all of the things they censor yeah, I know. And, and there's a part of me that says this is just wrong, right? Um, and so I'm, I, I am torn on this because, you know, I, I'm a big believer in free speech, you know, but, but when it's uh, malicious speech, I guess you might say, um, you know, uh, uh, these, these media companies have been shown to, um, to uh, have, out, you know, outsized influence, I guess. And so it would be good of them to try to keep some of that malicious stuff, uh, intentionally malicious stuff off their platforms. Okay, so I, then I guess I want to bring it to you. So Alan seems to have drawn the line pretty much where the social media companies have drawn the line. Like maybe he's a little bit more free speech than Facebook, but they seem to be on the same page. Where do you, do you draw the line differently, Brandy? Um, a little. I don't think they should be um, censoring facts or anything like that. Um, that's that's close to communism in my opinion. If people are stupid, they're stupid. Let them go be stupid. It is not Facebook nor Twitter nor the government's job to tell people that they're stupid and tell them what is right. It's your own personal responsibility and personal liberties in my opinion to be able to use your freedom to figure out what you think is right. And if we're going to take down the things that someone believes is false, then we might as well go take down all the other weird random false stuff. Flat earthers, their stuff needs to go if we can't have right. anything that's false. Right. And but hey, why why not let us believe why not let them believe it? You know, so yeah, no, there's a big part of me that that that, that it agrees with you, Brandy. It's just, um, I, I guess, I, and maybe maybe it's the, the the influence on elections per se that um, that 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 maybe is kind of where I start to get a little concerned about it. Because you know, yeah. I mean, Facebook isn't any any better place to say that you know this this mathematical theorem, for example, is true or false, right? So you know, I mean, at at some point they can't be the arbiter of, of truth, um, which is kind of where I get to the, you know, was it maliciously propagated as, as uh, an intentional falsehood? And then how do they arbitrate intentions, right? That's, that's at least as hard. So gosh, it's a, it's a difficult, really difficult line to draw. And I, I, I really sympathize with uh, social media companies for, for where, where they are and the attempts that they're trying to make. And, 
it's uh it's tough Alan, what makes selection so special? Because I feel like I use social media to talk about politics all the time. And it's not only American politics. I may make fun of the, the Brits for things they're doing. I'll criticize their free speech laws, actually. There was a uh, uh, hearing in Congress recently where I think it must have been uh, Facebook was, was, uh, was on the stand and t t testifying in front of a Senate committee. And I believe it was Cory Gardner even that, that was, uh, you know, asking them why he let, uh, I believe it was uh, the, the one of the I Iranian leaders get, get away with some particularly egregious speech. And it's like, well, you know, we, our focus has been on the U.S., but we're trying to, we're, we're realizing that we need to be more international and we're hiring people who speak some of these other languages. But, you know, it's uh, to, to answer your question more directly, I guess, the, um, the, uh, the impact, I guess, that, that it has, right? I mean, if, let's say, for example, that Russia was able to change the election from being Hillary Clinton to uh, Donald Trump, that had huge, huge effects, right? Um, and, you know, that should be, um, that should be limited, <laughs> right? So um, it probably can't be eliminated entirely, but, you know, certainly limited to the, to the degree possible. And I totally get people for sure argue that Russian meddling influences the vote but is that really significant because i'm sure europeans posting about how terrible donald trump is also influences the vote in some way right. like it's an it's a public it's an international platform where people exchange ideas like yeah well into that bad to, to the extent that they are in good faith exchanging ideas, that's great, right? But to the extent that they're maliciously putting out falsehoods, which is what, you know, Russia has been accused of doing, um, that's, that's a different story, you know, that's essentially criminal, right? So. Okay, I want to take that same question. I'm going to steer it slightly different. What about when Russia maliciously puts out truth hoods? Ah, that's a, that's a really, that's a really great really great thing like like uh for example the the clinton emails for example right it, they those were those were truthful things and they they got a hold of them uh one way or the other and they they you know made them available via you know a couple different mechanisms so you know it's if to the that's still russian meddling <laughs> right and i'm not really in favor of russian meddling but you know we kind of get get what we uh get what we deserve to some degree because we've done a lot of this historically all over the world too so yeah to the extent that it's truthful you know, I'm kind of okay with it, but to to the extent that that they're putting out falsehoods, um, that's really something that we ought to be on our guard against and try to uh, actively counter. Okay, then specifically on the Biden laptop, then is does that fall under the category of something you're okay with and think they shouldn't have censored? Um, I think it's certainly on on the line, right? Um, um, I'm okay if the if if the Hunter Biden stuff goes go goes public. As I understand it, there have been several fairly reputable reputable reporters who've looked at it and haven't been able to find any there there, which is why some of these media are looking at uh, you know censoring it. But you know the New York Post thinks they have a story, and um, you know they're a legitimate enough media that they they probably should be uh, able to uh, publicize their story. Yeah, Brandy, you wanted to chime in on this one. Yeah, I think it goes a little far. I mean, whether or not there's 100% truth or it's been 100% uh, backed, if they're writing a story with some sort of evidence, it, ha it should have the right to be on the platform because Facebook and Twitter, they're not publishers. They do not choose what is on there. They have that 
Section 230, I think, that's supposed to say that anything that's posted on there, they can't be held accountable for. So if you're not held accountable for it, why are we so interested in trying to make sure everything that is correct is on there, you know? So the Hunter Biden one, if it's true, they definitely need it to be uncensored. And if it's not true, well, you know, I mean, that's kind of the work of media. Media posts and puts out stuff that's not true all the time. And then it comes back with retractions yeah. and stuff like that. So if we're going to do it to one, we got to do it to all of them. Yeah, no, I agree. The marketplace of ideas needs to be the, uh, needs to be the arbiter of a lot of this stuff. And, you know, they're, um, that, that you got to get the ideas out there in order for that to happen. Breitbart was complaining a week or so ago about about Google, not 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 strictly social media, but 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 the the, the same basic vein of argument here that uh, Google has deprioritized Breitbart results in their findings, even if you take an exact quote from one of their headlines and put it into Google. Breitbart doesn't show up on the first page. So sure enough, I tried that on a couple of uh, a couple of headlines, and sure enough, they don't show up on the top page. Breitbart, the Breitbart article itself does not show up on the you know in the, in in the first twenty or so um, uh, returns you get. Now you'll get other media commenting about the the Breitbart article that 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 will show up, but yeah. So I don't know that that's right. I mean, you know, clearly Breitbart has had their factual errors, but they're but they're you know. A reasonably legitimate media outlet and they should be you know certainly if, if, if you put in the exact title of one of their articles it should probably show up uh, right at right at about the top yeah if we let the onion post stuff we should let the new york post post stuff yep <laughs> okay then i want to go back a little bit further to on on a censorship that you both agree with and I got to I got to phrase this carefully, uh, but we, oh, we were both censored, right? <laughs> you you were both talking about like underage pornography as being something that's obviously needs to be censored. Now, not defending underage pornography, but my question more specifically is why is that Facebook's job? Like that's a legal like that's the government like that's an investigation that's a police officer. Why does Facebook have to be the arbiter there? Oh, you know, um, if, you, um, if you're publishing with a printing press and you print that stuff, you're going to jail, right? So, so we will have an obligation, I think a legal, legal probably moral, absolutely uh, obligation to uh, try to stop the spread of that crap. And so, you know, I think anybody who's, who's got a, a platform Needs to be a needs to be aware. Now, should they be sending everything they find to the cops? Absolutely, and I think they are. So it's not their job to prosecute. It's not their job to uh, stop it per se, but it should be their job to make some good faith efforts to try to limit its, limit its distribution. Yeah, and I think if I'm not wrong, I think there are certain things around specifically that where um, you know if you see it and you don't report it, you could be like accessory to it or something like sure. that. So I would think that that would be why they would also try to do that. Okay. Then, and there, the government in the US has put on like some restrictions, told media, social media companies that you have to do these types of censorship, but mostly that's to protect copyright law, DMCA. We are even subject to that on this podcast. Sure. I had to find a local band and ask them permission to use their music. Right. Like I couldn't just be like, yeah, let's do this song. That would get us, that would get us off any platform. 
in in some ways like yeah the, they are given some responsibilities like that but that makes me want to take another step back uh nudity nudity is something some social media platforms do allow facebook not one of them instagram not one of them why why do they do that what do you think i think I th it's cultural I think the same reason Time Magazine doesn't, right? Or the New York Times doesn't, right? So it's just their 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 choice that they're not going to, um, they're just not going to put that kind of stuff on their platform. Time Magazine. Go, oh, go, go on, Brandy. I'll just say it's the same kind of thing as, uh, like I said, it was cultural because like uh, England, they do not have a sexual like taboo the way that we do um, in America but they do have one for violence you'll see a lot less violence in the movies that they produce the tv shows and things like that versus you'll see a lot more sexual content over there than you will over here and i think that's partially you know how you know instagram and facebook don't want to offend people so they don't let the offense come through and then you know you got reddit where you can find stuff like that but that's you know that that's a possibility if you're going to be looking for it on there. And it's the same kind of choices, like allowing cuss words and stuff. A lot of the world is totally fine with them, but you still don't do it in case you offend that one guy. So something you said, Alan, it's the same reason the time doesn't do it. I don't, I don't think that's sufficient for, for this case because Facebook publishes a lot of things or uh, platforms, a lot of things that the, that time wouldn't like we're not journalists working for facebook we're right. users of facebook all right no i agree there uh, but the point is they have a, a right right and a, um, a certain constituency that they're trying to appeal to that they're going to exercise their their right to uh, allow and and to disallow certain certain materials so you know time and new new york post are uh, or new york times all three of them really they're trying to get to a certain audience that might not buy their media if they had nudity in there and so you know they they don't allow it it's the same same reason facebook doesn't allow it okay then i i think we're that pretty much cues up my final big question uh there'll be some sub questions under here but every time something like this happens what well, you you see this sort of marketplace uh capitalist sort of argument coming well if people don't like it they can go to a different platform and we've even seen some of those platforms rise up there sure. are free speech alternatives to twitter now there are free speech alternatives to facebook kind of but we don't see any of those taking off so yet Right. I mean, think back to the day when, when, when MySpace ruled the uh, social media world and, you know, Facebook pretty much took that all over. I don't know that MySpace really has a lot going on with it anymore. So, you know, never say never on this stuff. Well, that's, that's kind of my question. And it, it actually ties back into MySpace because MySpace was ridiculously free. Like it was a free speech zone like we do not have today. MySpace was endlessly customizable. You could manipulate your own code on your page. You could put music on it. You could not. You could show pictures to display permanently. You could do posts. You could do blogs. It was the ultimate social media. You could do whatever you wanted on it. And if it doesn't, you just add the code so that it does. The social media we have today is much more limited. Twitter, you're limited to 140 characters. 
like not <laughs> paragraphs of code like MySpace had. You get 140 characters on Twitter. On Facebook, you, you now have two ways to post. You have your timeline, or is it, it's a timeline now. When, when did it stop becoming a wall? Is it still a wall or is it a timeline now? I think it's your timeline and your stories. Are those the, the two ways you're yeah. talking about? Yeah, and then you have stories. Like there's, there's not, there's a few avenues for expression on Facebook, but it's nowhere near what MySpace ever was. And in addition to that, both Twitter and Facebook limit the type of content. Again, if you're even doing like legitimate things, like posting the constant uh, text from the Declaration of Independence, or if you're trying to showcase br police brutality, that'll get flagged as violence. If you're posting even true information about, say, the Syrian false flag operation, that can get uh, torn down, uh, pulled down as misinformation. If you're trying to be sex positive or you're trying to offer important sexual education that gets a little too scandalous or even just basic nudity, that's going to be taken down. None of that is possible on the social media we have today. So what is the barrier to having this ultimate free speech platform that everyone hypothetically points to or says they want? Why don't we have that? I don't know exactly why, but it has something to do with it gets too big for people to handle. They don't know what they're getting themselves into. So, Paul, would you say Facebook was that way, say, five years ago, prior mm -hmm. to them starting this, uh, this censorship effort? I'd say Facebook was inherently similar to, but much more limited than MySpace was. Like, well, so I the would MySpace argue, things you were talking about were kind of bells and whistles, though, right? You're not talking about content per se. I, I would argue that it's the limitations of our social media that makes them take off. That, that at a certain point, the freedom just doesn't make them consistent in a capitalist society. All right, that's fine. So, and I, I don't remember what MySpace's terms and conditions were. I don't remember if people could have put, posted like violence and hate speech stuff on there or nudity. I just, I don't know what MySpace's rules were. Oh, I was just saying, I feel like it was a lot less limited. I feel like there was still like some limitations towards what kind of porn you could put on there, but it still couldn't be child porn. But, you know, you could probably put something else on there. A little less bad. <laughs> yeah, and, and so Paul, I, I mean, I, I, I can't name them, but I know that those kinds of platforms exist, right? A lot of the, the alt-right militia groups uh, have, have left Facebook for another platform that, that I might recognize if I heard, but, um, you know, so those platforms are out there that will let you do, do stuff. Um, you know, clearly there are, there are porn platforms, there are, there are uh, racist platforms, there are all sorts of platforms. So that's the real question. It's not Facebook's job, is it someone else's job to monitor the internet? Which do we want that? No, we don't want that. But do we want that? I don't know. Well, it kind of goes back to the too big to fail argument that we were having back in the financial crisis, right? And so, you know, the some of these that have, have gotten to the point that they are so influential on society, they're the ones that catch all the, the political scrutiny and, and have started to uh, uh, try to be more responsible, quote unquote, with, uh, with, with what, what they're allowing on their platforms with, you know, pros and cons. So there are some, some of those small platforms where that are totally free that were which we all acknowledge. 
but they seem, and I could be wrong, there could be a counterexample to this, but even you seem to be implying that they pretty much exist for the niche market of racists um, or what have what, you. Whether, whether that was their intention or not, I don't know, but certainly, uh, you know, racists have one or two of these that they have congregated to. I agree that that's where they would go. If you're not allowed on Facebook, what you're going to do, make your own website. But I right. don't think that that's all what's over there. Because, you know, they've got like Rizzle, I think, is this new, like, I don't know, it's like audio with video, but not TikTok. It's longer videos. And that, there's a lot of people going over there with their conservative shows because they don't get censored over there. So there's a bunch of different platforms for a bunch of different things, but definitely I think they all go to different ones. And I followed some of those far right uh, YouTubers before just, just to hear what they have to say. But it seems like every six months or so, they're telling me this is the new platform. This is the thing that's going to take down Twitter. This is the new platform. This is the thing that's going to take down YouTube. And it's like, eh, it's probably not. Someday. <laughs> Someday. Technology just changes to too fast and, and, and public opinion is too fickle. Facebook won't have its reign forever. Not forever. So, so I'll, I'll ask this question. We get this free Facebook, uh, freedom of speech Facebook. You, you can... They allow open nipples and you can, you can say mean things to whoever you want and they won't do anything about it. Would you use it or would you prefer Facebook? Let's assume that they're about the same size, have about the same number of people on them. I mean, I'd probably stick with Facebook. I don't know. I, I, I might split my time. <laughs> I'd probably stick with Facebook more. Depends on how bad Facebook is getting at this point. If I had something, well, and Facebook's still not my favorite thing, but I do... If I had Facebook too, and it was everything Facebook was without the recent uptick in censorship, I would probably go use the other one. Okay, so if you had to choose one, which one would you go with Brandy Allen lean towards Facebook? I would lean towards the lesser censored one. The less censored one. So why? Um, because that Facebook is becoming far too overreaching at this point um it didn't used to be that way um maybe even six months ago that i felt that but at this point it's getting to be too much you know if you're going to be censoring things that are very one-sided and biased and just trying to help your side win that's where i start drawing the lines on liking it yeah they certainly need to continue working on their algorithms and and uh try to make it a little more a little more fair and a little uh, um uh, a little less error prone, I guess you'd say. And Alan, why did you say you would prefer Facebook to a freer version? I don't know. I don't really. Uh, I, I don't really use these things as a source of news mainly, right? So um, it's you know just I kind of know what I got, and it's less likely to uh, infuriate me, I guess. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> some yes. some of that ridiculous stuff is, uh, is 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 not as likely to be on there. Yeah, on the friendship basis, I have all my friends on Facebook already. I yeah. don't need to go somewhere else for that. But for the news basis, I don't need Facebook for that. Right. And I never imagined that people would be getting their news from social media. Like that kind of surprised me when I found out that's people's main source of news now. Yeah. A lot of people use Reddit as their main source of news, which just seems a little strange to me. Oh, I use Reddit. Yeah. They, they are very in factual 
infectious oh gosh, words <laughs> no <laughs> something like that yes but they are very influential no man i'm gonna stop talking oh i had it well so so one of the one of the things we haven't really talked about yet is kind of the gatekeeper function of 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 tr traditional media right so back in the good old days prior to all this social media you you had a somewhat limited group of of editors who essentially controlled what what happened or what what people talked about at the at, at the coffee machine right um you know the, the the new york times and the washington journals and your, your local newspapers and abc and nbc and cbs and you know you could you could name name off you know maybe 20 or 30 media outlets that that really kind of controlled the conversation so it was you know there were advantages and disadvantages to to that so you know one of the great things about facebook and social media is you can circumvent those things right i mean that was you know what what, what trump explicitly says about his, his his twitter feed right is he's getting around the editors and he's getting around the, the the filters and he's trying to go direct to the direct to the people well that is a valuable function of of, of social media and and something that um you know is is a good thing on net but it does bring us back to the fact that you know those those editors and those those uh, gateways were filtering out stuff that was not likely to be true or was absolutely not not true and and filtering out stuff that was particularly uh egregious right so we got to figure out some some way to to kind of balance that right and and to to get the advantages of having that gatekeeper who's who's keeping the completely ridiculous stuff out of the the, the mainstream but still have an access for for the average everyday person um to, to be able to get their their information out so I, I think it's to have the facebook's and the twitters and the 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 youtubes of the world um trying to censor and trying to edit stuff to at least make sure that it's not uh likely harmful and it's not you know likely malicious i think is is a step in the right direction right and it's trying to find the balance between having the 20 or 30 editors who are controlling the the, the thought of, of the nation and uh just kind of the the wild wild west so to speak where anybody regardless of how malicious their intent might be or how um how harmful their their content might might be is, is able to get a, a huge audience I feel like you're kind of sugarcoating it a little bit because right. like with Twitter, the original intent was to be super open, right? Like, let everyone speak their t piece when they were getting calls to kick out Alex Jones. Twitter was like, nah, now nah, we're a free speech zone, but eventually they're just like, okay, no more Alex Jones. They <laughs> caved and like clearly they caved because of, capitalist market pressures they did it for economic financial reasons so it's not that sweet old billionaires are looking out for you alan making sure you're only getting good information and getting good ideas and not seeing the bad things it's more in lines with showing you these messages make us money showing you these messages lose us advertisers and are we comfortable with that being our de facto experience on social media so long as it's in the private sector um yeah i mean i'm i am fairly much yeah i mean um because those in turn are are, are driven by by the public right i mean the, the the reasons that advertisers react is because they think their customers will react well who are their customers us right so so we are influential in that loop we as the citizens or the the the, the residents of this country uh, the, the 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 consumers who are active in our economy, we are influential. We're we're not the only say, but we are influential, highly influential in in, 
in, in those decisions. So the fact that, you know, somebody, um, um, somebody won't advertise on something because they think it's going to drive away customers. Um, I think that's actually a good motive. Now, they're also getting political pressure, not just capitalism pressure, but also political pressure from various politicians that are threatening to put on various regulations or try to make life difficult for them if they don't try to clean this up. So it's not just a capitalistic thing, but yeah, I think capitalism's working in our favor here. Brandy, do you have anything to say on that? Yeah, I would say, I mean, we live in that capitalistic world anyway. We can't watch TV. We can't drive down the street. We can't do anything without seeing ads. So of course, people are going to be choosing what they think is going to make them the most money and what those ads are going to make them come back. And if they're getting paid with some sort of money or promises or something like that, that to do this kind of censorship or to make sure that these things are being seen on the top of algorithms and stuff like that, that wouldn't surprise me. But if the posts are just all about what makes money, like you, uh, these it's just going to become cable news eventually. Like well, they're going I mean, after the far right now, but the far left is obviously next. They're already targeting some far left voices. You get niche locations, right? Just like there were, there still are niche um, magazines that will target a, a particular audience, right? There, there's the, you know, there are racist magazines and there's, you know, pornographic magazines and there's, you know, the various magazines that target niche audiences take that in spades you know, for the, for the internet, you know, you can have a, a niche audience of a hundred people, right? And it, it can be, uh, it, it can be, you know, a great thing for, 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 for those hundred people. What we're talking about is the mainstream big few that are serving all of us, right? The, the ABC, NBC, CBSs of the internet world, which is, you know, the Facebooks and Twitters and YouTubes. All right. We're about out of time. Did you have a final thought, Brandy? Mm, no, not really. Okay. All right. Well, we'll leave it there, having given Alan the final word. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Conflict Theory. Thanks for listening.